the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Typically, one day a week, I do not do market updates. I try to get a little bit big picture. This is one of those days. The auto industry, let's talk about it, the electrification of cars. You know what I'm talking about, Tesla. It's my favorite scene, maybe in movie history, is the original Jungle Book. When the snake says, trust me. I just thought that was clever. But vehicle electrification has nothing to do with trust, or does it? We'll talk about it. I guess it does with the self-driving technology. The way cars are being poised, uh, the, the way cars are being made is, is really dramatically different. I'm going to get there in just a second. But I'll give you a little hint. Uh, made in Japan. Made in Taiwan. Made in Indonesia. Outsourcing of manufacturing. A lot of car companies are going asset light, choosing not to spend billions and billions of dollars on new plants and equipment. The upstarts are relying on others to manufacture the products for them. It's an idea that's worked well in other industries, but success using an asset light model of the car business is far from a sure thing. To Henry Ford and his successors, the idea of car companies not making their own products on their own assembly lines, it would have been heresy. It would have been nuts. Probably next week, I'm going to start studying the whole assembly line, the history of the assembly line, because I have more, I think there's more there to think about. But if you're an auto company now, you've never given control of manufacturing to anyone else. Engines were and still are a big source of differentiation for car makers. You can see that Ford's got this amount of torque and the Chevy truck has that amount of torque. And the uh, horsepower and the way the transmissions slip into gear. When you have an electric car, there's not a lot of differentiation. So you don't really have to have a different motor, right? Therefore, you don't have to have a different factory specification. Therefore, you might as well turn it over to Asia to manufacture for you. Or build it around the world. Car companies want and still seek to have tight control over their suppliers so that they can keep close tabs on the quality of the parts that they get. They can negotiate pricing out of a position of strength. So the idea of your PC being made over in Taiwan, but Hewlett Packard slapping their name on it or Dell slapping their name on it or Apple slapping their name on it, that doesn't offend you. 
You're very comfortable with that. This is not an Asian specific segment. This is uh, how car companies are different segment. The idea of contract manufacturing sitting between a car company and the supplier, it's tough to swallow. It's tough to get used to. I once dated a young lady in Pennsylvania. She was in uh, the upper corner, which is really close to Ohio. So it was very much so a, a uh, union state or union part of town. I go up, meet the family at Christmas time, and I'm driving probably a Toyota. And I noticed when we went to see a movie on Christmas Day, my Toyota was the only Japanese car in the parking lot. And I, I brought it up to her dad. She goes, yeah, we don't, we don't buy no foreign cars here. We support the car companies we work for. I'm like, oh. My dad never bought a foreign-made car. My dad fought in wars, and I, I think the idea of keeping jobs in America was pretty prominent. Little Bruce Springsteen, please, born in the USA. So Apple is rumored to be getting into the car-producing world. Not the car-producing, the car world. And they ain't going to make it themselves. Uh-uh. There's an EV, electric vehicle startup named Fisker, FSR, using Magna International, MJ, uh, MGA. They're publicly traded. They're established auto part giants. And they're going to build the Apple product, maybe. That's the thought. Fisker has said its second car will be built by the company that produces iPhones. That's not exactly um, a tough clue to figure out. So if you think they're going to make a car for Apple, and we haven't seen the car introduced for Apple, and the CEO says, uh, there's a big phone company that wants us to make cars for them. But we're not allowed to say their name. <laughs> Apple should fire that potential relationship because the cat's kind of out of the bag. EV startup Fisker, FSR, Magna International, MGA. Nicola, Ricola. I used to hate that commercial, but now I'm going, that's pretty clever. Nicola, NKLA. They've chosen Iveco a maker of heavy-duty trucks to make their first battery-powered vehicles. In 2021, it has been, uh, the idea has been played around with that Tesla needs to get their truck out. And it looks like maybe UPS is going to get 11 of them. So they're, I don't know who's doing that part. But like I said, I have a little bit more work to do on the, we're so good with our toys being made in Asia and our sneakers being made in Asia. And every now and then, someone like a Kathy Lee Gifford has a star, uh, clothing line, and she starts up a factory down in Mexico. And then we learn, oh, the average age of the employee is six. Like, no. <clears throat> Let a six-year-old be a six-year-old, Kathy Lee. You don't need money that bad. Not everyone is going to convert to a new paradigm. There's an EV startup company called Lucid Motors. They want to manufacture themselves. They think it's too critical an activity to entrust with a third party. Someone has to pay the piper. That means someone has to own and operate the plants churning out the cars. It's a valid, 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 valid point. If Tesla has any secrets and other people are manufacturing their cars, there is no secrets. I used to say something about Apple phones, and this is you know well documented, that we know the exact specifications before the phone comes out. Nothing ever surprises us. 
because the Chinese supply chain, you just need one employee snapping one photo of what he did at work today. And he could sell it to a gossip site. He could sell it to an analyst. Sure. So if you got a third party, you have to give them a margin on that payment. Asset light party manufacturing is a fantasy. Running the numbers, Apple is as good as what they are because they say, we want our phones to have 62% profit margins. And then through the years, as that comes down and down and down and down, they're like, well, we better have some services that have higher profit margins because we want to keep our margins around 42% now. Most of the value in phones is in software and operating systems that run them rather than the hardware. Cars are also becoming more software oriented, but for now they're really hardware. Does it really have to stay the same way that it has for the last hundred years? Or are we ready for a revolution, an evolution even in car manufacturing? Foxconn could be a big player here. We'll talk about this more. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Find me at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. This is one of the best parts of my day. I like digging into economics and economies of scale and capitalism and crony capitalism and whatever fun ideas are out there to find. Lenin said once, um, the Russian Lenin, not the John Lenin, that nothing can happen for decades and then decades can happen in weeks. A pandemic pulled the future forward and there's a ton to learn from that. I recently have done some stories research. I do research and then turn them into stories. I've recently done some research on how Yum Brands has suddenly got, they're starting to buy Silicon Valley style start tech startups. That's fascinating to me. I don't know if it is to you, but it is to me. Because you think of Yum Brands and you're like, Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Taco Bell, in my family, we refer to it as taco hell. Um, everything has a bad, funny name in our family. Um, so nothing can happen for decades, and then decades can happen in weeks. I think that's that sums up a lot of what tech companies like Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Netflix... When Netflix went from shipping us a DVD in a red envelope, and I got stoked, I would make sure to return all my DVDs by Tuesday or Wednesday so that I could have new DVDs for the weekend. And if I happened to miss the mailman, I would run after him. Wait, wait! <laughs> everyone, all my neighbors see me running down the street in a panic in sweatpants and a T-shirt. Here, 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 here. Um, sometimes you have to 
to unlearn what you've learned. And I feel that's happening in the United States here. One of the biggest pillars of capitalism is immigration. So we've had some very ugly images of immigration in the last year, two years. Maybe it's been 10 for you. Maybe it's been 20 where we see the border in between Texas and California and Mexico having a lot of people coming to America. In theory, my great grandparents or my great great grandparents came to America. And I bet yours too, unless you happen to be Native American Indian. Um, this country is the pillar of capitalism. It, it, it's the immigrants. If you take a look at Google, immigrant founders, their parents, they're not them. They didn't come fresh off the boat, which I got to be careful because I don't even know if that's offensive anymore. I'm pretty sure it's not. But um, take a look at Yahoo. Immigration. That's that's where we got these guys from. Take a look at some of the, the your, some probably your doctor. You know, there's people you know, and yet the narrative has kind of turned to, yeah, these poor people are coming and taking our jobs. Or we're putting their children in cages. And again, I don't write the media narrative. It's out there. Um, and I think you know it too. I worry our government has been co-opted by the wealthy at times. And people who want what's in their best interest keep, keep my money mine. I'm freaked out. I'm worth some pretty good coin. And California takes a, a big chunk of it. When April 15 rolls around every year and I talk to my CPA, he goes, well, this is what you paid in taxes last year. It's nuts. I didn't even dream of making that much money as a kid. As a kid, I was thinking 50, 60,000 would be a great job. I worry our government's been co-opted by people like me who say, yeah, I'd rather give you $10,000 to get reelected than to give $10,000 to welfare programs that include helping immigration. I get it. I think it's out there. I think the story's there. I never, ever have considered giving money to a political party. Um, I would probably give money to things like uh, get out and vote. Maybe that is a political party. Maybe it's not. Um, but an area that we have to look at, in my opinion, and unlearn what we've learned is immigration. Unlearn what we've learned in the last couple of years on wealth. <clears throat> I read a research report yesterday from Pew Research. And again, you're like, wow, that research is flawed. Or you're, I love that research. I know it, that's probably divided right there, right? So maybe my next couple sentences won't mean a thing to you. Um, but since 1983, if you add up what was qualified as upper income, middle income, and lower income in the United States, 1983, upper income was 60% of Americans. Middle income was 32% of Americans. And lower income was 7%. Now you flash forward 30 years, 
and upper income is 79%. So it's moved from 60% of us to 79% of us. Middle income has, has gone down from 32% of us to 17% of us. This is just statistics from the IRS. And lower income have moved from 7% of us to 4% of us. Um, that's a pretty stunning trend. Those who have have gotten much more, and those who have not have gotten much less. Immigration is something that's part of this. Capitalism to me as a child was important to me. One of the things I've said on radio and TV in the past is I'm so happy I was born to educated parents. Well, my mom wasn't educated, but my father was, who expected me to go out and get educated. My dad was raised in an orphanage, and he had this image of capitalism that he shared with me. And if I didn't have that image of capitalism, I wouldn't be one of the upper incomes. Capitalism in America means flattening the risk curve for people who already have money by borrowing from future generations with debt-fueled bailouts for companies. Is that what capitalism means? We've consciously decided to reduce the downside for the wealthy, thereby limiting the upside for future generations. Huh. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. I've learned many, many times in my life, sometimes you take a pie in the face, that sucks. Sometimes you're hip deep in pie. That's awesome. You got to take chances. And right now, we got to re review what capitalism and immigration and wealth means to, the, to our society. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I do wish that this country presented as many opportunities to my children as it presented to me, as it presented to my father. Uh, and it feels like it's not. As an investor, one of the things I'm not panicked about, but one of my focuses when I talk with my financial planner, Brad, which is a great name because it sounds like I'm making it up and I'm not. Um, I'm like, it's important that I, I, I have a trust so my wealth kind of stays in my family and goes to my children. And it's important that we set it up so that if they get married and divorced, that the, their future wife, who may or may not even have been born yet, doesn't take half. And like, I'm contributing to a very negative part of capitalism. I want most of my wealth to stay with my children because I worked my butt off to make it. I'm entitled to that, but it's also a conflict in my head. When I see my kids aren't on the track to be CEOs, when I see the CEO of Delta making $15 million a year, I'm like, that's a good salary. The CEO of Carnival making $13.5 that's a good salary. I certainly wouldn't want to be either one of them during the pandemic. I'd have no hair even when I had hair, right? Doug Parker makes $12 million. Uh, Doug Parker, American Airlines, sorry. A fascinating CEO that I'm going to do a profile on at one point in time because CEOs have great stories. Uh, the CEO of United Airlines is a guy named Oscar Munoz. Makes $10.5 million. And then I see the people that work for him making $30,000 a year. I... 
visually, it looks wrong. The optics are wrong. Did every one of those CEOs do something to get successful? Yeah. Did every one of those CEOs get into capitalism and, and get the system in their favor? Yeah. Do they deserve it, not deserve it? Yeah, I'm fine with it. But I don't think my children will be are on that track. And that's where it bothers me. My children are much more likely to be happy because the way I'm raising them to be an Uber driver or DoorDash delivery person or veterinarian or nursing assistant. Um, what I've had to do to succeed cost me a lot of happiness. I had an alcoholic father, so I didn't have a happy childhood. I wanted to prove something to him. In my 20s, I was convinced that I couldn't work for a company like AT&T without pulling all my hair out and just not just loving it. I, I couldn't do it. One summer during college, I worked as an AT&T operator <laughs> for a plan called Reach Out America, which is fascinating to think about. People would call in and say, I heard there was this Reach Out America plan. What's that all about? And it was just basically a way of bundling more minutes and times we got massive discounts on your, your phone. And I was like, I can't do it. I tried it. I couldn't do it. Could I have been the CEO of AT&T by now if I if I'd stuck with it? Maybe. But man, those 20 years to get to there would not have been pretty for me. So instead, I, I sacrificed my 20s while my friends were going to you know, dance parties and raves and experimenting with drugs, love cars, travel. I was grinding it out as an investment advisor. I was grinding out uh, using all my savings from jobs like AT&T to pay employees to, to build a business. There was three years there where I, I didn't have any money. <laughs> like I had nothing because I gave it all to other people to help work with me. Um, so it's in my head and I'm just throwing it out there because it's, it's the child angle. If you were to ask me 20 years ago, I'd be like, everyone gets what they deserve. The doors open, and when doors do close, windows open. Climb through the window. And I think there's some truth to that, but I think it's less and less than ever. Um, and again, the opportunity is my dad. My dad was an orphan. His parents didn't want him. Dropped him off at an orphanage, him and his sister. He went to the boys' orphanage. She went to the, the girls' orphanage. Uh, so he used to sneak out. He'd like steal apples and, and give them to his sister. That's the kind of guy, guy my dad was. But that upbringing and the military upbringing ultimately pushed him into alcohol, which I, I understand. Stressful times when you're out in Vietnam counting dead bodies and counting ammunition. I get it. But um, I just don't feel the opportunities there if you have kids today. And I'll give you another example. I live in California, and some of my best friends rent houses. Rent apartments, not even houses. They're raising their kids in apartments and they're working their butts off 60 hours a week. Um, I don't think that's as great of a door as it used to be. Anyhow, Amazon is getting into the merchandising business with App Amazon Music. I don't know. If you got Amazon Prime, you get Amazon Music for free, I think. I tried it a couple years ago and wasn't impressed. Um, Spotify came along and then Apple Music came along and I think they kind of have that all locked up. But Amazon Music's free with Amazon Prime. And if you have Amazon Prime, why have Apple Music and Spotify, right? But Amazon Music getting into an area now that I, I kind of think is intriguing, merchandising of Apple Music, Amazon Music. See, I don't even 
Amazon Music doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? Fans can now buy merchandise from artists directly within Amazon Music app. When someone visits an artist page on Amazon Music, an option to buy their products pops up alongside their music videos and live streams. Amazon is debuting the new feature with product lines from Billie Eilish, Gucci Mane, and others. I'm like, that's genius. Why not? You know how Taco Bell and uh, Pizza Hut and Kentucky Fried Chicken are, are grabbing data on us? And they see like, well, Rob's on our loyalty program. And we see that when he goes to McDonald's, the only thing he gets is the, the nuggets. He never gets anything else. And he's only doing nuggets every three months. Let's see if we can't entice him with spicy nuggets. Oh, Rob Black just showed up at one of our stores again, everyone. Fire up the spicy nuggets. And suddenly, spicy nuggets become curry-flavored nuggets, which become uh, sriracha-flavored nuggets. And, and I, I get it. The information is, is, is damning, and it's killing. So to see music kind of all integrate, where you don't have to go to the concert to get the concert shirt, when you're just listening to music, and you're like, I'm a fan. Why not? My niece loves Billie Eilish. Loves Billie Eilish. So when Billie Eilish tours again... I'm going to buy her two tickets to Billie Eilish. They're not going to be good tickets. They're going to be freaking fracking great tickets. It's a way of showing my sister that I love her. Um, because my sister didn't, she's a school teacher. School teachers don't make what financial people make. Amazon isn't the only company to buy merchandise with music streaming. Spotify artists can add products to their artist profile. But here's the difference. I can't believe I get paid for figuring this stuff out. This is the fantastic I have the best life ever. I told you this one hour in the morning or two hours in the morning is the best part of my day. Don't tell my kids. The difference right now between Spotify and Amazon is that clicking to purchase the items on Spotify sends you to a third-party website called Merch Bar. It requires slightly more friction, another touch, maybe another password, another login. Amazon already has all my information. They know where I live. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is watching me. It's so interesting. Five years ago, I watched that uh, show on Netflix that talked about internet security. And it starts off with a guy said, a school teacher said, how many of you think your phone is spying on you? And they're all 20 year old kids. And I'd say 90% raise their hand. And I didn't raise my hand. Now I, I damn well know it's spying on me. Oh, did you watch any of the CEOs talking to Congress? Dorsey shaved his head and he's kept the beard. It's awesome. He looks like a Viking now. But what caught everyone's attention in the video, in the stream, because they're doing it via Zoom, is there's a clock in the back of uh, Dor Dorsey, Jack Dorsey's kitchen. And you're like, what's that clock? That's kind of stylish. The numbers are like six, seven, five, two, one, seven, two, three. And they keep changing. And I'm like, is this like one of those scenes from the TV show Lost? Like there's a countdown clock. What happens when the countdown clock changes? Because that's not a clock based on time. A little bit of research showed you that it's a clock based on Bitcoin prices and how they changed around the world. And I want the clock, even though I don't have Bitcoin. I don't think I have Bitcoin. Some of the investing I do is a little bit on the blind side for reasons of legally protecting me from you and not promoting stuff. Anyhow, so Amazon's putting merch on their music page 
and it's directly tied towards checking out. Apple has that too. With Apple Music, they have my Apple Pay. I am not saying Apple's much into the merch business yet. And remember the first time you heard merch? You're like, that's kind of a cool term for merchandise. We are Americans. We can't possibly say three syllables. Merch. Um, Amazon Music claimed 12% of all streaming revenue last year. That's interesting to me. If you had said, what percentage of streaming does Apple and Spotify have? I would have thought like 40 and 40 or 45 and 45, and the rest goes to peanuts. But Amazon's got 12%. Apple's got 25%. Spotify is 30%. YouTube Music's got 9%. And Pandora has 5%. So Apple could buy Pandora in theory roll it into their business model and start rolling out merch to the that 5% and suddenly they'd be at 25%, 30% of, of streaming. It's a really, really smart idea. Amazon Music launched in 2007 as an MP3 store in the vein of iTunes. I believe I bought a song or two because that's right around when my kids were born. And when they're in the tub, I, I, I'm not cute. I play music for my kids. Amazon Music has remained the fastest growing of major streaming services since 2019. I did not know that thanks to Alexa. Hey Alexa, play Billie Eilish. Hey Alexa, give me a Billie Eilish t-shirt while you're at it, you, you bum. I hope you picked up what I put down there. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing more. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Okay, this is constantly today. I can't time my segments correctly. And I keep going back to the last segment for one last thought. I did it earlier with electric vehicle makers, and I had to have one last thought and how they're outsourcing production and that's changing the world. Instead of building cars in-house, you contract manufacture them. Did another segment just now on Amazon Music and how they can successfully merchandise better for artists, and they're growing faster than Spotify and Apple. As Alexa was a dumb, stupid speaker that's not high quality in any way, shape, or form. Apple came out with a really expensive speaker, which was totally Apple. Then Apple had to go, crap, we blew it, and cancel that really expensive speaker and focus on their $99 speaker. And they're basically taking a page from Amazon because Amazon flooded the market with $99, $29, $15, $5 today, free at Christmas, Amazon dots and things like that. And it's kind of cute. You know, I, I don't use Amazon Alexa like, hey, Alexa, play Rob Black and Ronnie on KDW. You can do that. That's cool. But so Apple is copying Amazon going with the cheap one because Amazon has figured out the merchandising that they have power over Spotify because Spotify doesn't have a really great delivery network in any way, shape, or form. Um, so Spotify needs to, to buy some sort of delivery service. Maybe, maybe not. See, they don't have the scale of bringing you books, bringing you DVDs, bringing you... Uh, microphones, like they can't do what Amazon does. Amazon's a scary company. When you see Apple copying them, because Apple 
wants to do the cheap speaker because they want you to use Apple Pay to support the artists who you're listening to. It just gets you deeper into the ecosystem. So I have one last thought here. Maybe two. Amazon just bought the NFL rights for the next 10 years for Thursday night football. Do I know where this is going? Hell yeah, I know where this is going. Merchandise. But not just that, tickets. The biggest threat to Ticketmaster right now has to be Amazon. They have all the entertainers on Amazon Music. Hey, you want to go to see a Billie Eilish? Hey, Rob, you were playing Billie Eilish earlier this morning. You know, she's coming in tour. You want to get tickets for your niece? Uh, how did you know I was listening to Billie Eilish? Ah, we just know. So Live Nation is Ticketmaster, and it's a publicly traded company. Apple could get into the ticket business. But let's focus on the NFL right now. Amazon landed exclusive rights to stream the NFL's Thursday night football on Prime Video. Some television experts previously uh, predicted this. It's not difficult to imagine that Amazon might soon start selling sports memorabilia, baseball cards, OJ Simpson's Heisman Trophy. I know, it's too soon, right? Murderer. Amazon's music products expansion seems well-timed. During the lockdown, music streaming led to a merchandising boom. I'm one of those dads that get my kids like Def Leppard t-shirts because they're cool. Um, I buy my kids, you know, Kurt Cobain had that striped sweater. I think it is so iconic. So I get my kid a striped sweater just like Kurt Cobain's. And I Google, hey, Kurt, uh, Google, Kurt Cobain striped sweater. And I find it on Amazon. It's all playing into how manipulated we are. And we don't even know it. Um, singers Brandy and Monica competed in a very high-profile battle. And through it all, they managed to sell about 230,000 of Brandy versus Monica hoodies. It's difficult exactly to say what percentage of merchandise sales now comprise overall music revenues. But it's expected at least $3.6 in tie-ins. And it's much bigger than that. The global music industry revenue is going to labels is about 20.2 billion. The merchandising is over 3.6 billion and growing fast. This is not lost on me. I'm Rob Black talking all, and then Amazon gets into healthcare. So Amazon has telehealth for all their employees now, and it covers everything that you don't need to real do uh, be in the room for. If the doctor says, you know, drop your drawers and bend over, I gotta do a the test that I don't wanna do and you don't want done to you. Yeah, you're still going to have to go to the doctor for that one. Um, but a lot of the things like allergies, my PPO sends me an email every couple of weeks. Hey, do you want a teledoc appointment with uh, allergy season? We see in the past you've had prescriptions. We can take care of that for you over the over the internet. So when I see Amazon getting that, and I see Amazon buying PillPack a couple of years ago, it's it's like a serial killer. Excuse the comparison, but have you ever watched like um, Silence of the Lambs and Clarice has the big board with all the little clues and none of them add up to where, who the killer is? And then for some reason, the, the screen gets kind of fuzzy and she sees three things tied together and the screen gets fuzzy again. And then it, 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 she sees four things tied together now. She's putting the pieces of the puzzle together. That's Amazon. Healthcare? 
pills, prescriptions, TV, music, merchandise. I might as well just write in my will and give it to Jeff Bezos. Bank stocks are in the news these days as a play on interest rates. I don't really want to spoil the timing of this show, but let's just do a real simple thought for you. If you think we're in a interest rate cycle where we're lowering rates, you don't want anything to do with banks. I loved banks 20 years ago, loved them. It was the first area that book value made a lot of sense to me. Net asset value made a lot of sense to me when I was starting the industry. But then interest rates started going down and I stuck with financials for a little bit too long. Because that's when they don't make as much in the spread between what they get and what they offer. And risk becomes greater to them on who they lend to. So as interest rates were at 4%, they moved down to two and a half, two, one and a half, one. Banks underperformed. If you think it's going the other direction, banks will outperform. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.